I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you joined me at this time. I want to talk about um, thing, something that has been very key in the ministry that we have run the last 40 years, and that is hearing the voice of God. I'm glad that, that I was able to hear it very early in our ministry because we began to develop the, the habit, if I can call it that, of anything that was at least major, we would take the Lord and ask him for his direction, his counsel, his guidance. And so over the years, it has proven faithful to us. And so I simply want to bring to your attention the need to be able to go to the Lord, ask him about direction, ask him about the things that he has on his heart for you so that you can stay within it. So in order to underline uh, some things, I want to read mostly from John chapter 10. And I'll be reading a number of verses, omitting some of them that um, maybe don't quite um, fit in. It's not that it's contrary to it, it's just that it's not needed for this. So please bear with me. So John chapter 10, uh, this whole chapter is about Jesus. He is the shepherd. He is the gate. And I want to explain to you what that means to me. First of all, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And he said that back in John chapter 14. And as he was declaring that he's the way, the truth, and the life, to me, that's the gate that this passage of Scripture is talking about. The gate, if I can, for, for the purpose of what I'm teaching on, the gate is primarily to give us truth so we know how to act and what to do. And so he is also the shepherd that this passage is talking about, the true shepherd. Now, there's something else that Jesus is besides the way, the truth, and the life. And by the way, it isn't what he proclaimed. It's what he is. We need to understand he is the way. He is truth. He is life. And 1 John says he is something else that's very important. It says God is love. It doesn't say God preaches love or God shows love. He is love. And in Hebrews, it's very clear that Jesus is an exact representation, an exact image of what God is like, his Father. And so Jesus is love. He's the way. He's truth. He's life. And as we go to him and say, Lord, what shall we do? What We have a decision. What should we do? He wants to give us the truth. He wants to give us the love that surrounds it. He wants to do for us what's best for his kingdom, but what's best for his kingdom will always be in the long run the best for us. We may not always see that at the moment, but in the long run, it's the best for us. So let's look at this passage of Scripture as we read it to you. John chapter 10, starting at verse 1. I tell you the truth, the man who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in some other way is a thief and a robber. So, <laughs> what can I say? Anybody 
that isn't preaching truth, anyone that isn't showing the love they should show, be patient and kind and gentle and all the things that describe the characteristics of that. He's not coming in by the gate. He's not coming in by truth. He's coming in by deception. And so Jesus said, anybody that enters that is not preaching truth, not preaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, is a thief and a robber. He's coming to take advantage of the people, the sheep of the fold. It says the man who enters by the gate, the man who comes in by truth, is the shepherd of his sheep. And Jesus is truth. The watchman opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. Now, I heard uh, many years ago a man describing the shepherds of the Middle East, how out in the wilderness where they pasture their sheep, there'd be many shepherds with many flocks. As a matter of fact, when in Acts, pardon me, in Luke, when the angels appeared to the shepherds, the shepherd, word shepherd is plural and the flock is plural. So we know there were shepherds and flocks. And so all these shepherds in the evening time, when it's time to bed down for the night, they bring their flocks and they have this enclosed area to, to put their flocks in to keep them safe from anything that would harm them in the night. So the question is, how do they keep these sheep separate? And the answer is very simple. In the morning, a, a shepherd would open the gate and he would call his sheep. And they know him, they know his voice, they know their name. I don't think he had an individual name for each one, but there's a name that he had for his flock. It says his sheep knows him and they lead him up. That's the way Jesus wants us to be with him, that we know his voice. So when he speaks to us, it, it this integrates all the lies and the thinking and all the stuff out there that isn't from his kingdom. It's his voice that we want to be called to. It's his voice that wants to lead us in everything that we do. Verse 4 says, When he was brought out on his own, he goes ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. Each one of you listening to him, uh, to me right now, pardon me, each one of you, it would be profitable for you to stop and just think, do I know his voice? Can I distinguish between all the thoughts and all the stuff going on? Can I distinguish what is his and what is not? And the logical thing that that we had to do over the years as we learned. It was a process. It didn't happen overnight. As we learned to hear his voice, after a while, he just knew it. You see, years ago when I first met my now present wife, and I called her house the first time after 
My, our first date, I called her house to set up something else. And when, when a lady answered, I wasn't sure if it was her or her mother or a cousin that was there quite often, a lady cousin. So I didn't know for sure. So I, I'd have to say, uh, uh, so who am I speaking to? But you see, after many years of marriage, I don't have to ask her. Our house can be full of, of, of daughters-in-laws and grandchildren that are in their teens and in their 20s. The house can be full, but when she answers, I know it's her if I call from somewhere. And that's the way God wants us to be with the shepherd's voice, his, his, his son's voice. In verse 7, Jesus said, I tell you the truth. I am the gate for the sheep. Truth is the gate that any shepherd has to come through in order to deal with the sheep. The sheep enter through that gate of truth. The shepherds enter through that gate of truth. If they don't, they're a false shepherd. They're there. They're a robber and a thief. And so it's important that we understand God has set up a kingdom that we're invited into where he says to us, when you need to know, is that man that's coming to the church a true pastor or does he preach deception? The board of that church should be closing down their computers and closing their notebooks and getting down on the floor and say, Lord, we want to know, is this man a true shepherd? Or is he a, a thief and a robber? And to wait on God and get God to speak to that board would solve an awful lot of problems in our churches today. Because so many pastors, I don't have no idea what the percentage is, it doesn't matter. So many pastors are in a church they want to build up their reputation. If they could just get a building program going, it would establish them as a successful pastor. Or if they, if they get everybody to, to talk to their friends about them because they're so great and their humor is so great and their, their stories, are, they just try to become popular. They're, they're focused on self and using the, the body of Christ to promote themselves. I... I know there are many good, God-centered, Christ-centered pastors out there, but how do we know if we're inviting someone into our fellowship to lead that fellowship? How do we know if we don't know them personally and don't know them by reputation? We need the voice of God in every aspect of the church. That's to me, is the most important problem. Jesus said, I am the gate in verse 9. And if you enter through me, he says, you will be saved. Now, yes, that has to do with initial conversion. But you see, we need to be saved from false teachers and false prophets. We need to be saved from the thieves and the robbers. We need to be saved from those people that want to benefit from the body of Christ. In the Old Testament, God makes it very clear that a lot of the shepherds that were over the people at that time, they were eating the fat of the flock. In other words, taking the flock but not giving back to it. Nothing has changed. Human nature is still the same. In John 
10, verse 10, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. We talked about the thief in verse 1. Now we realize he's only got one motive in his mind. He wants to steal from us. He wants to kill the, 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 the work of the Holy Spirit because he can't be exalted if people see the Holy Spirit at work. They won't honor him. So he wants to get around. He wants to destroy relationships so he can gain control over a few people who will then give him an understanding that he's in charge of the church. It goes on in various ways, but there's so much manipulation and control in the church today because they haven't entered by the gate of truth. And boards have allowed them to come in another way because they desperately needed a pastor. And we're going to take a chance on this one. Even, we, even though we don't know for sure, let's take a chance on not realizing the devastation it can do to the flock when the wrong person is there. We need to know him. Jesus said in verse 11, I am the good shepherd. I am. Now, he's appointed from Ephesians chapter 4. He's appointed apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. He appoints pastors. He appoints the shepherds that pastors, the word pastor means. And he appoints them to look after us and care for us. The other at least three of those ministries, the apostle, prophet, and the evangelist, are traveling people. The pastor and probably the teacher, although not necessarily the teacher, are more or less stay with the flock. The teacher may go out, but the pastor stays with the flock. And you see, when there's a, an understanding of the role of a pastor as he recognizes the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists, he starts to realize that I will be accountable to them if I'm not a true pastor. So pastors coming in would be much more wary if they heard there was an apostle over this church and there's a prophet here that knows the heart of God and hears the heart of God and will speak out truth even if it means rejection and sometimes in the Old Testament meant death. But he will do it. So I don't want to, I don't want to go to that church. So there's a, there's a safeguard here against false prophets, pardon me, false pastors coming into the fellowship. Jesus keeps saying in John 10, 14, I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. Powerful, powerful statement to be able to say, I know them, they know me. He goes on in verse 15, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep, I'm excited about the fact that Jesus knows God, his Father, intimately. He also knows us intimately and wants us to know him intimately. He wants to. And I believe one of the key ways of, of being intimate with the Lord Jesus and with the Father in heaven is to be a communicator talking to them, allowing them to talk to us. And so 
when he says in verse 16, I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pan. I believe he was talking to Jewish people here and he was talking about those of us who are Gentiles. That's my belief. I must bring them also. Now listen to what he says about us Gentiles. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. Jesus didn't say there'll be thousands of flocks all under different denominational names. He said there'll be one flock. I have no way of proving this, but I believe if down through the ages, men who are in leadership, men who are in charge of the churches and the leaders of the church, if they had always sought God about their, their, their leaders, the people they're bringing in, about their doctrine, about their interpretation of Scripture, if they'd sought God, humbled themselves and said, we can be wrong, we, we, we cannot go by man's instinct, we must know what God is saying, I believe we'd be one flock. When Jewish people are converted to Christianity, when the Holy Spirit appears or Jesus appears and they get saved, instead of them going off into Messianic little groups and doing their own thing, we could be all could be part of one. We wouldn't have to be a whole bunch of different. We have one, one flock and one shepherd. That was Jesus' plan. That was his purpose for coming to unite us. As, as John 17, the prayer, the high priestly prayer we call it, it calls, it calls for unity. Paul in his letters to Timothy and to Titus, twice in each letter, he warned them about keeping their doctrines pure, watching out for those doctrines. Why? Because he wanted to see the church as one body with one shepherd. However, because we didn't seek the Lord on decisions we were making, we didn't seek the Lord on things that had to do with interpretations of Scripture and doctrines and so on, because we didn't seek the Lord, humble ourselves and died our own imaginations and our own daydreams and all the things we want to impress people with, our new knowledge, our new revelation, we needed to die to all that stuff and say, Lord, Talk to us about this. We have different people in leadership that are saying different things. Now, Lord, we're here together. Talk to us about it. Tell us what's wrong. Why is there unity that's starting to open up? Tell us, Lord God. In John 16, verse, starting at verse 13, Jesus again is speaking. He says, when he, the Spirit of truth, that's talking about the Holy Spirit, when he comes, he will guide you into all truth. How is he going to do that? How is he going to keep us as one body? It says he will not speak on his own. In other words, the Holy Spirit, something like Jesus. Jesus said, I don't say anything unless I hear the Father saying it. Now he's saying the Holy Spirit he will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. Jesus said he will only 
speak what he hears. Just as Jesus only spoke what the Father said to him, the Holy Spirit will only speak what the Father says to him. And when he speaks to us, it says there, verse 13, he will tell you what is yet to come. He's not just talking about end times. He's talking about this is what's going to happen if this man believes that doctrine and this man disagrees with him. This is what he will tell us what is going to come. It's called a church split. Many of you have been through it. And it's because someone in there didn't listen to the Lord, didn't even ask him about it, as a matter of fact. Many of them make decisions. Many of our leaders are making decisions based on their own human understanding. It says in Jeremiah 17, Cursed is the man who relies on his own without the Lord. It says later, But blessed is the man who relies on the Lord. And then in verse 14, it says, He will bring glory to me. One of the teachers that's been very influential in my life, he commented on this verse this way. He said, any spirit that does not glorify Jesus is probably not the Holy Spirit. One of the weaknesses of the charismatic movement, that weakness is simply, there was so much focus on the gifts of the Spirit, getting people healed, getting them delivered, prophesying. Those things are not wrong. We needed to learn them. But after 40 years, I've been in this move for over 40 years, we're still talking about that. We have totally forgotten about character. We've totally forgotten about a man's position before God. And yet, the gifts of the Spirit in the New Testament are only mentioned a couple of times in 1 Corinthians. All the other Bible in the New Testament has to do with the character of man and, and the way he should handle things when it comes to relationships, in correction, in rebuking. They're all in there. We're supposed to, as a church, rebuke those who are doing wrong. So we need to bring glory to God by everything we do. Verse 15 says, All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said, The Spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you. I'm talking about promises. Jesus is saying, I know what the Father has told me. I know how he thinks. I know what's going on in his heart. I can tell you those things. I can. I will make it known to you. He says, I will take and make it known to you. It's his, will means his desire. He is anxious to talk to people about how to run a church, how to run um, a family, how to run a ministry. He's also anxious to tell us how to run our businesses, how to run anything that has to do with the kingdom of God. And in the secular world, there are people out there, businessmen who understand that if you seek the Lord, 
He will let you know. Remember, Jesus said, it all belongs to me. What the Father has given me, Jesus said, it all belongs to me. Now, I am very willing to give that wisdom to you. You know, in the first number of chapters of Proverbs, I, wisdom, call out to you, it says. And through those chapters, I believe it's the first nine chapters, talks about wisdom versus the wisdom of the world, which will let us down because man's understanding of how to fix stuff and how to do stuff is drawn out of a, out of a culture that has rejected God. And yet we use the wisdom from our culture that has rejected God to make decisions, whether it be in, the, in, the, in our business, in church, in our lives, in our personal lives. We chose to choose the wisdom of this world. In 1 Corinthians chapters 1, 2, and 3, he makes it very clear, Paul makes it very clear, the foolishness of the wisdom of this world the foolishness. Stop and think about it for a minute, folks. What has wisdom of the world gotten us? It has gotten us a high divorce rate where children are hurting and suffering from rejection of the divorce plus the people. It has got us an increased, constantly increasing crime rate. It has got us a school that, that is afraid to teach that it's wrong to rob, it's wrong to lie, it's wrong because they, oh, that's how the Old Testament um, Ten Commandments, we're not going to teach that. What's wrong with teaching a child not to steal, not to rob, not to swear, not to beat up on someone and pick on them? Do you understand the wisdom of this world? The wisdom of the world isn't looking for a solution to our problems. The wisdom of this world wants to eliminate God in your mind. A scientist told me not too long ago, he's a Christian man. He said the whole area of science, which was established hundreds of years ago to find out what makes things work. Why does it do that? He says they're not focused on that anymore. Science is focused on trying to prove there is no God. And yet that God, wants to tell us how to get our lives in shape, how to get our homes in shape, how to get our businesses in shape, how to get the church back in shape and our country back in shape. That wisdom wants to tell us that, and we keep saying, no, we reject that. Please understand, the enemy is at work in this whole area. When David... Was, was desiring to build a temple. God says, yes, but you won't be doing it. You get all the materials. You get everything together. Get the stones hewn out. Get the timbers ready. But he says, I want you to instruct Solomon how to build that temple. I want you to think for a moment. We are now the temple of the living God. We are his sanctuary. He doesn't dwell in buildings so much anymore. He dwells in us. Yes, he'll be present in buildings when his people are there. He wants to be present, but he's in us. And this is what David said to Solomon, how he was to build that temple. First Chronicles 22, 
verse 19. Now devote your heart. This is David to Solomon. Devote your heart and soul to seeking the Lord your God. David already had the plans. David already had the material. Everything was established. God had given David the plans. He'd, he had given him the, the workers to bring the materials. And God is still saying to Solomon, you're putting this thing together. You had better devote your heart and your soul to seeking the Lord so you know precisely how to put this together. Churches need to be put together like that. Your homes need to be together like that. Your personal lives need to be put together like that. Then he said to him, begin to build the sanctuary of the Lord God. Lord, I want this sanctuary to be built perfectly the way you said. You see, in the Old Testament, it says that in the Old Testament with Moses and he was building the temporary tabernacle out there in the wilderness out of skins and stuff, God showed him on the mountain the plans for that tabernacle. And he said to Moses, I want you to build it exactly the, the way you've seen it. We need to say, Jesus is that plan. We want to build it exactly. Father, give us wisdom in this. In the name of Jesus, we thank you. Amen. please visit our website at jwmi.ca to find out about more information of our ministry.